0: Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes, and today we are answering some of your questions. Things, questions about the Na- Church of the Nazarene versus Reform theology. What about evil? What about federal vision? What about dispensationalism? dispensationalism. It just the, yeah. the hits, just law gospel. Uh, In so many ways, they're always the same questions asked in different ways, and they're always good because they're things we like to talk
1: about. Yeah, yeah, it's all fun stuff we love talking about here on the Pactum. Yep, and Mike has got
0: his like pumpkin spice latte mixed with peppermint mocha. Can you smell it? No, I can't.
1: Okay, this is today I am drinking (laughs) this is just regular coffee, however, it's coconut cream creamer. It tastes. Oh, my
0: my wife would be into that kind of stuff it too. It
1: tastes like coconut cream pie. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, now I just we have pie
0: that. and coffee. What else are we going to talk about on the factum? Yesterday, I was at the local <laughs> grocer, as I like to say, <laughs> and uh, they. You know what I spotted out of the corner of my eye? They had uh, the little package of almonds, and it was peppermint. Something peppermint oh, flavor almonds? almonds. Are you serious? Uh-huh. You bought them, right? No, I did. I oh, thought of. On. I paused. I thought about it. I like the ones that are coconut because it tastes oh, like suntan lotion. Sure.
1: <laughs> That's kind of what my coffee tastes like—suntan <laughs> lotion.
0: But the peppermint almonds, I didn't buy them because if I would have purchased them from my grocer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have eaten all of them. You would've. I mean, I just don't have like that self control thing when it comes to that. Self control for me is don't buy it and then you won't eat it.
1: Hey, there you go. That's good. Because I would have bought it and I would have eaten them all and then bought another round. I
0: should have purchased them for you. Oh, we could have tried them here. That's all right, but I didn't. It's freezing cold outside here in Omaha, Nebraska, where we are recording, and uh, it's just hard to, you know, kind of be optimistic and motivated. And well, I mean, you it's just want to sit inside. Well, that's
1: exciting. Oh man, the I love weather it. outside is Amazing. dreadful. It's <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pactum today. We are doing another Pactum Responsum episode. We did one last week.
0: It must be a sign that our listenership is growing because the questions just keep coming. The questions
1: are coming, and they're great questions. They, they are. really are. And keep them
0: coming, but folks, yeah. if you are a podcaster, be careful what you ask for.
1: Yes, it's true. We get a lot of questions. We do stockpile them. Uh, For those of you who send them in and we don't respond to you, that's because we want to save them for the episodes. We kind of stockpile them up. Oh, saving the best for last,
0: typically. So if you feel left out, you should actually feel like you're left in.
1: It's like a... (laughs) (laughs)
0: But not left behind.
1: Oh, man. Okay.
0: We better get with the first question. We better. Okay, we've got... So stay tuned. Yeah, Stay tuned.
1: Yeah. Okay, here we go. We're going to start right off with a question from Brandon. Brandon, uh, this is one about Nazarenes, right? So we have, what are some of the key differences of the Church of the Nazarenes theology and Reformed theology? So maybe even what are some key areas that you can discuss um, with people when you're talking about these things? Uh, Nazarene's Reformed Theology.
0: Sure. Maybe one good thing to do would be to acknowledge some of the similarities, because that way you can keep the conversation going. Sure, yeah. A lot of times I like to know what I have in common with someone, because... That at least kind of gets things moving and keeps things going. And so we're thankful that people who are a part of the Nazarene church, Nazarene denomination, uh, we're thankful that they would say, according to their website, they affirm the orthodox creeds and traditions of the Christian church. Mm. Okay, good. Uh, We believe, they say, in justification by grace through faith alone for salvation. A lot of really good positive things that we would say, awesome. We can have a long conversation about those things with our friends who are Nazarene. Sure, Uh, I have friends who are actually members of the church here where where we pastor who've come out of that background, and so it's fun talking to them about their perfect past. Oh, wait a second, now we're getting to the things we might disagree (laughs) with. So they also do say on their website, we believe that the Holy Spirit seeks to do in us a second work of grace— Mm. Uh Oh, mm. typically that Suspect. ends up being, yeah, that, that, that's not helpful. So that's not good. A second work of grace. So now we have the haves and the have nots, yep. the zapped and the non zapped. <laughs> so it almost seems kind of, it, it, you can see where this turns into charismaticism sure. pretty easy yeah. or birds of a feather kind of thing flocked together. So yep. a second work of grace called by various terms, including entire sanctification. Ooh. So, so you hypothetically could be entirely, entirely sanctified, sanctified and yeah. you could hypothetically, therefore in this life, be perfect. Whereas most often in Christian theology, certainly in reformed theology, we will not be perfected until we see Christ and are made like him in right. glory. And so, uh, this is a, it's Wesleyan, um, yeah, yeah. thinking of the Wesley brothers. Uh, I've, I've been to, to, to either the house or the church. So I do, I am authorized to speak, You're authorized on, to on, speak these on these them. things, yes, of course. Yes, yeah. I have this special anointing. You are so authorized. So uh, it's more Arminian, and so yeah, this yeah. perfectionism, Arminianism, a whole thing, and so we would want to talk about those things. They are differences, and what we would say is in classic Reformed theology, in classic covenant theology, you have categories Uh, that come from the Bible and taking all of the biblical data, but you have categories like the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Right. That really help us to maneuver through the Bible. So it's not, uh, we don't come to bad conclusions like perfectionism, which won't match so much biblical data. For example, what I'm really getting at is the church of the Nazarene talks about how in Matthew five, we're called to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, there it is. And that's kind of a problem. So therefore, if we have to be perfect, we must be able to be perfect. Right. Yep. Yep. Which is a false conclusion because of the fall. It is what God requires. So think covenant of works. You must do this to gain eternal life. But no one can because we're in Adam. Right. So the requirement's there, but we can never meet the requirement unless, as we know, we look to Christ, who met the requirement for, for us. us yeah. Categories, folks. Categories, categories, categories. It kind of reminds me of categories. Categories. We should make, what a game. We should have a game Packed called Pactum Categories.
1: <laughs> when that one comes up at the family gatherings, I just want to bug out. Okay. I'm like, I can't.
0: I don't think I've ever played. In my oh life. yeah, okay. I don't think so. I, have, yeah. I used to go along with the game thing at holidays, and I tried to fit in because I was trying to be in everyone's good graces. And anymore, I'm like. <laughs>
1: Hey, you guys have a deal. good. You guys have
0: a good time. I've got. I've got a bike tire I need to go fix, or, <laughs> or something else. I usually fall asleep. I'm that guy. Let me let me just watch and have fun. Oh, that's fine. So sometimes they call on me for the trivia ones, though. So there there is that. There you go. Maybe another thing you can think of, Brandon, when you're talking with someone who is a Nazarene or an Arminian or a Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. I, Really try to focus on if you can if you can get them uh, if you can get them to buy into you know wink wink if you can get them to understand the doctrine of depravity
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: you you you've that's half the battle
1: sure right yeah. so
0: Ephesians two one and following dead in trespasses and sins by nature children of wrath and then it's but God made us alive together with Him. Uh, that If you can get them there and they believe the Bible is true, before you know it, they are going to pray the prayer and ask Calvin into their <laughs> <Right>. heart. <laughs> Okay, not really. Yeah. We're just trying to be be silly. But that really is wh- where I think I would start.
1: Because yeah, because if you carry it from there, I mean, some of these things they are going to hold to and talk about and want to espouse. Or, but it's not going to work out. It's not going it doesn't, to. Yeah, it yep. doesn't go together.
0: First things first, let's go for depravity and uh, have some have some fun and interesting conversations. Sometimes I, I like to try to know enough. Well, even sometimes what you'll find is you know more than they do if you just went to their – denomination's website just even some of the some of the things we just read sure and uh before you know it you can talk about how great it is to have salvation by grace alone through faith alone and uh we're often we're off, and, off and running so yeah big difference but we could be fellow believers because sure. yeah. they would affirm basic gospel truths
1: yes yep i was gonna say there's a lot of things that the nazarenes are gonna teach and hold to that Im- are imp- part of my background Im- i think Im- imperfectly <laughs> yeah right <laughs> All right, so let's move on to a second question here. Today we've got a question from Danielle, and Danielle asks about the New Hampshire or New Hampshire. New Hampshire. You, I, you, know, I, you know, the New Hampshire Confession. You're getting your getting your Tolkien game on over there. It's the Shire. <laughs> the Shire. I noticed in the New Hampshire Confession uh, 12, it refers to the harmony of the law and the gospel, in quotes. Yep. Uh, can you speak on this? She's asking, is confusing to hear of the harmony of the law and the gospel in okay. that confession?
0: So full confession from... The Pactum, yes, and that would be. I've never read that confession before. I, in my you life. Know, we
1: got that question. I thought, what is the New Hampshire Confession?
0: 1883, okay. and f- I did a little bit of digging and research, and it was a way to try to simplify and make things a little simpler. And one person referred to it as a warm evangelical Calvinism. Mm-hmm. A so warm, yeah. So we'll put a link to the link in the show notes. It's from uh, Founders Ministry. It okay. did have an interesting little um, comment or two about the confession, and so. But I, I did read that particular portion that you asked us to read, Danielle, and uh, I, I think it's fine if we take it in its best light. So it does say, of the harmony of the law and the gospel. So you think, hmm, the harmony of law and gospel, how could that be right? Well, it could be right if they are both required. It could be right if Christ meets the obligation of the law in the gospel, and then we are supposed to obey the law as a result out of gratitude. So it could be. And if we read what they say, at least as far as I understand it, again, not an expert, but I think that probably is what they're up to. Hmm. So think of it in those terms. Listen, listen uh, as we think it, think of it in those terms. We believe that the law of God is the eternal and unchangeable rule of his moral government. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, that it is holy, good, just, and good. I'll say good to all of those things. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Uh, and then it goes on to say, And that the inability which the scriptures ascribe to fallen men to fulfill its precepts arises entirely from their love of sin, to hmm. deliver them from which and to restore them through the through a mediator to unfeigned obedience to the holy law is one great end of the gospel and the means of grace connected with the establishment of the visible church. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, you did. So much, so much bright screen going on in my eyes and the font is so small when you're getting so old, I guess. Oh, I just made it bigger. Now there you go. Here. I said blow that up. Okay. So with all of that in mind, I think you take it in the best light. Yeah. It, it works the way we had a hunch it was going to work. Sure. Yeah. So the law and the gospel uh, are in harmony provided you're not making them the same thing. Right.
1: Yeah. M- making right? sure you're not mixing them together. Gospel.
0: Yeah, so let's <laughs> distinguish between law and gospel, but they do work together because Christ fulfills the law, and then he puts us on the right road, so to speak, yep. and now we want to follow God's good law to guide us because we're in Christ. So uh, I, I could buy in and uh, not have a problem with that. So check out the uh, Founders article if it would help you, if it would help you toward a warm evangelical Calvinism.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of Golospell, have you seen those sweet new shirts? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what a lead-in. What a If lead we were in. only making money off such oh, things. Oh, dear. Hey, but so, for I, I those have,
1: of you curious, Golospell shirts are available at the Pactum.org. And,
0: and hopefully a good little... Uh, opportunity to get people to say, what does that mean? Yeah. Someone said uh, recently to me, they said, well, I, I love my new gospel shirt, but I can't wear it where I teach kids because it says <laughs> damning. <laughs> damning. It says damning on it. So do, um, do, you know, be cautious, show wisdom in where you wear it. Yeah. That are cool, getting a lot of fun out of those uh, if you 're a pactum listener, well you are if you 're listening well, yeah, t- right. to us right now uh, <laughs> yeah when you when you wear your when you when you don your glossible shirt, make sure you take a picture of it and post it on social media yeah, so you can, we'd you can love to smile. see where you
1: where you're wearing that gear at all right, on to another question. This question comes to us from Brad, and Brad asks about. Um, the unified will of the triune God. He says, how how do we reconcile the unified will of the triune God, the orthodox view of God's will, with Jesus' statement in the garden, nevertheless, not my will, but yours?
0: Okay. Well, that's a pretty good—that's a great question. that's a great, great question. And so—and let's respond by saying, Brad— God. First of all, God has one will. Mm-hmm. So, and you're trying to make sure we uphold the orthodox view that God only has one will. We're right. with, we're with you so far. Yes, that's good. And uh, then we would say Jesus is God and human. Oh, mm-hmm. plot thickens. Yes. So, therefore, we are going to con- to conclude that the incarnate Christ, the incarnate Son who is the Christ, has two wills. Two wills. Mm. So, therefore, we are. Countering monothelitism. We are not monothelitists. We are diothelitists. <laughs> we think <laughs> there are two wills, not one will. And uh, we're going to put a link to a helpful, maybe a two minute Legionnaire video uh, by Robert Godfrey, where he talks about these two doctrines, these sure. two isms, uh, and points out that it should be. Jesus, who is God and man, has two wills. Uh, God only has one will, but he is the God-man. Man. Yeah. So hopefully you'll find that helpful. I've been reading a little book that's, I think, newly published uh, by Wellem called The Person of Christ. And don't be deceived by its small size. Uh, it's pretty thick. So Stephen Wellem, and it's called The Person of Christ, An Introduction. And here's a good quotation from that book that I think would address this issue he says with its affirmation of two wills classic christology can make better sense of how the son is able to live a fully human life and to exercise his will as man Hmm. so in there is actually in the back i see there's a in the glossary there's a section that's on diothelitism versus monothelitism
1: There, there you
0: go and uh teaching the same thing essentially as Robert Godfrey does. There's also another good article we're going to link to from Banner of Truth uh, that talks about this very same thing. Hmm. Uh, When Jesus speaks, it's not my will, but your will. Uh, I'm going to jump into that article just for a second here because it's so fascinating. It says, the answer to this question must be no. This is whether or not... Um,
1: If there's a a difference in the Godhead,
0: he says, no, Jesus in Gethsemane, Gethsemane, hard to say, in Gethsemane is speaking as a man who recoils at the thought of his own death. Hmm. The son as man is speaking to God, his father, and asking to be spared from death. It is equally true that as a man, Jesus willed to die and to obey the will of his heavenly father. Both the request to be spared death and the resolution to endure death come from Jesus, the man. Hmm. The will of which Jesus speaks in Matthew 26, 39, is his human will of inclination. He does not want to suffer death, but it is equally important to remember that ultimately Jesus willed to die. This is not an example of Jesus' divine will prevailing over his human will. This is a wonderful example of Jesus' human will acting in conformity with the will of God. Hmm. This is why Jesus can be the second Adam. He perfectly fulfilled on our behalf all the requirements of God's law. He also willingly endured the punishment of God's law. The punishment was death, and he endured death in our stead. Let us be thankful for this great truth. Hmm. So I hope that helps. These are things, these are uh, doctrines upon which angels fear to tread. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these things are not altogether easy and sure, complicated yeah. and we've lost sight of some of these realities for def- different reasons. And so I'm thankful for a good resurgence when it comes to Christology and theology proper. But to be honest and to confess, I feel a little bit like a novice who knows enough to know that I am dangerous
1: yep, yep. if
0: I don't do a little bit of research. Right, So. Yeah. Hopefully, we've done a little bit of research. So Jesus, the Christ, who is God and man, has
1: two wills. There you go. All right. All right. Next question comes to us from the OG Jacob. The OG Jacob. (laughs) I I say that because he's been giving me a hard time ever since I said the OG. Oh, seriously? Yeah, ever since I've said that. So Jacob is going to ask about federal vision.
0: Okay, next question. (laughs) Do we have to hear any more about the Federal Vision?
1: (laughs) Oh, Jacob's uh, mentioning that Federal Vision has and continues to be a very hot topic in evangelicalism. And uh, he's trying to understand it, it, define it, and sometimes that can be hard to do. Hard to understand, hard to define it, pin it down. How would you explain Federal Vision to someone and why should we be aware of it? That's a great question, Jacob.
0: Okay. So I guess maybe we'll start with the title, Federal Vision. Federal is the word for covenant. Right. And so those who were involved in the Federal Vision wanted a, I'm going to say a new vision uh, for covenant theology, and they wanted to, I'm not using their words, these are my words, they wanted to uh, an update, they wanted to uh, revise and make better, if you will, hmm. um, covenant theology. And so they they're, they definitely deviate, um, sure. Uh, and it's not the classic traditional kind, right? And so there's that. I'm looking at here this book. I think it's out of print, so it's a million dollars on Amazon. But this is a book called "The Federal Vision and Covenant Theology: A Comparative Analysis" by Guy Prentice Waters. I like the things that Guy Waters writes, and. Uh, just looking at it and seeing some of the differences and some of the things that are um, emphasized. This is actually from the introduction uh, from the forward, not from Guy Waters, but he does talk about this movement. He calls it theologically loose knit. Um, but he says, Oh, Auburn Avenue, Avenue theology. It's also known as because of the church in Louisiana. But he says this, a reworking of traditional reformed covenant theology and giving prominence to vision or story over propositional systems, hmm. it's associated with Norman Shepherd in his teaching. Norman Shepherd, who denied justification sola fide, right. yeah. um, and a lot of his students have been involved. Or excuse me, those involved have liked Norman Shepherd and affirmed some of the things he taught, which is a big red flag. Right. Yep. Uh, we've talked about uh, these things before. Mono covenantalism, and so now everything is grace and everything is works, and there's a blurring between that strong distinction that we see. Uh, in classic covenant theology. Uh, he's even going to use neo-nomianism, kind of a new law. So everything's gracious. So if uh, Adam and the Covenant of Works, those who are involved uh, who do affirm this, somehow the Covenant of Works, according to federal vision, uh, was gracious. Hmm. And if he would have fulfilled it, it would have been by grace through faith. That's strange talk yeah, yeah. as far as we're concerned and as far as classic covenant theology is concerned. And it's no wonder that it ends up being at best confusing about things like justification sola fide, and you have a strange doctrine of apostasy when it comes to true believers being able to become apostate. Uh, it's it's deviant and denominations have found it to be deviant right and yeah. we would find it deviant as well oftentimes though people who are associated with it are associated with theonomy and uh they love to fight yes uh, yeah. they're they're a feisty bunch and <laughs> It's just interesting to kind of watch it all happen. Let's just talk about some resources. So, so Jacob, uh, we find it to be wanting. You can find, you can look up their website and read what they say about law gospel and the distinction. But we don't think what they say about that is classic Protestant, classic covenant theology, and it's it lends itself toward blurring the lines. Uh, it's problematic on a lot of fronts. Uh, again, the resources we, that we might recommend, the book I just mentioned, The Federal Vision and Covenant Theology by Guy Waters. Uh, you can also, uh, that book that's called Covenant Justification and Pastoral Ministry yeah. that you can find on Kindle for not a lot of dollars is really helpful. And a lot of what's in that book is addressing the theology of federal vision. Yeah. That's not what it is entirely, but a lot of it is. Uh, so we we highly recommend that you can also uh, go to the Heidel blog. Our Scott Clark has a lot of helpful information. Uh, in fact, you can just Google search, and we'll link to it for those just tuning in. What is the Federal Vision? Uh, that's from Scott Clark from 2013, and it really is going to be insightful. Yeah. And if there's one thing that federal vision people don't like, they don't like the Heidel blog, but we do. (laughs) We do. And and you know what? The facts are the facts. And so we can argue back and forth, but do check out what Scott has to say about that. It's actually uh, insightful and worth your time. Uh, And if you don't like Scott Clark, we think there's something wrong with you, but if you don't like what's, what's not, what's not to like, I mean, I have a monthly subscription to his hair care products. (laughs) But uh, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I kid, oh, I kid, I funny. kid. So, with that, facial hair products, yeah, I there you go, say. there you go. Okay. So, fellow Nebraskan, our friend Scott. Uh, if you're, if you if Scott's not your cup of tea, uh, we might still be able to be friends. There's an article over at the Gospel Coalition that we'll link to as well that talks about federal vision that gives some good warnings there as well. Let's move on to the next question, and it's going to come from another member of the Pactum Verse. It's going to come from our friend Tate. Hey, Tate, I saw a picture of you. You were in Southern California, and it looked like you were moderating a debate <laughs> at a pizza parlor or something yeah. like that. <laughs> But it was nice to see you uh, sporting some some pactum gear as you were moderating, moderating that debate. Yeah.
1: So anyway. All right. Tate's question is about discipleship. Uh, asking what should discipleship look like in the church? Uh, should it be looked at as corporately gathering together uh, as well as maybe classes, small groups? Yes, yes. Or is yes, it more an individualistic yes, thing yes, within the church yes. where brothers and sisters seek out – the older ones <laughs> seek out the younger – um, he's saying, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but what's a healthy way to view discipleship?
0: I think the best discipleship that I do in my life since well, a disciple is a learner, a disciple is a follower. Mm-hmm. So Jesus had followers. He had disciples, those who saw him as their rabbi, as their teacher. And so discipleship happens um, when you're teaching and when you're learning. So the best discipleship I do is on Sunday morning when I'm preaching God's word. Hmm. And I think sometimes people forget that. They think, well, I need to be discipled. Yes, you do. You need to hear the preaching of the word of God. Sure. And so, Tate, let's think ordinary means of grace first and foremost— Uh, And people discount that, and and maybe rightfully so, because there have been churches that have have wandered away, and they've not been faithful churches. And so people have needed to learn the Bible, and they've needed to be mentored uh, outside of the church because the church hasn't been doing what it's supposed to do. Sure. Yeah. Let's have the church do what it's supposed to do. And then let's be discipled through the unique, extraordinary, ordinary means Hmm. of the word of God and the right administration of the sacraments. I mean, just think about how, how they speak volumes, even in helping us to grow spiritually and to mature. I think we, we need to return to the basics that are profound and powerful and they've been prescribed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as the means for our sanctification, for our growth, for our maturity uh, and for such things. So, Hmm. and from there, uh, let's say that there's a lot of freedom. And so what I, what I want to buck against is when people say, here's how discipleship must happen. Well, we can say it must happen this way, what Jesus says about the church. Uh, let's do that for sure. But beyond that, if it's the mandated, here's your quiet time, hmm, it's yeah, the mandated, yeah. here's you know, the guy who used to disciple me, we're going to fast on this day and we're yep. going to take prayer walks and we're going to do quiet time and all this sort of thing. Let's not mandate those things. Let's not put people in bondage. let's have freedom. Uh, let's utilize things like confessions. Let's sure, u- yeah. utilize things like catechisms uh, that are tried and tested to supplement, to help people learn basic Christian doctrines. Uh, and, and I think we should probably probably return to some of these things and uh, it would be helpful. Yeah as far as parachurch ministries are concerned, I'm not anti-parachurch ministry. Um, welcome to the Pactum. <laughs> we, right. But we want parent church ministries to be ch- ministries that come alongside of the church right, and yeah. they don't try to um, take away from, they sure. want to compliment. Yep. So uh, we're, we are pro-local church. That's why we like to encourage you who listen to be pro-local church and to love and encourage your pastor and to be serving and to be involved there. Uh, that's one of the main things we're trying to do here as a as ministry. Yeah, a parent church ministry. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually underneath the authority of a local church. Right. Yeah. As far as research uh, resources are concerned, again, utilize catechisms, utilize things that have stood the test of time. Um, What else? Yeah. You know, utilize things that, that are sound, that are sound doctrine that will help people. So much of what we're trying to do is help people to think rightly about God. And to do basic Christian things well, and uh, that's blocking and tackling. Right. It's yeah. not the fancy stuff. Also, maybe ta- remember that it's not our job to be life coaches, mm. mm-hmm. um, even though you might be a life coach. Uh, <laughs> might be your day job, <laughs> sure. and it's a fine job to do. But I want to encourage people to learn with wisdom and learn things elsewhere that they don't have to get it all from me. I don't want to control their life, in other words. Sure, yeah. There have been Christian books that have been written uh, that have not been very helpful because they seem to be very controlling. Sure,
1: yeah. Okay, another question for you today on the Pactum Responsum here. This is from Grant, and this is where you get to talk about dispensationalism. Yet
0: again. All right. I, re- I pre-read this question, and I, actually, I don't want to keep saying this because I don't like it when people say, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Oh, what are we going to say? That's (laughs) a dumb question. That's a terrible question. (laughs) So I I, I appreciated the way that Grant worded this question.
1: Yes. All right. So Grant says that he and his wife have been brought up much in the same way that you and your brother Mike have in the church. Uh, Calvary Chapel roots, Biblicism, MacArthur TMS, GCC, uh, all of those sorts of things. And now they seem to be led in the direction of covenant theology and confessionalism. Um, His question is, he says, we're not ready to... We're not ready or are convinced that we need to write off premillennialism or dispensationalist teaching in favor of an amillennial system. Uh, he's not saying either's right or wrong, just seems maybe it's possible both. Uh, there's truth in both systems, so they're oh. not convinced at one at this point. Yep. Um, one concerning aspect that Grant mentions in his question that he sent here is that if a person believes in a rapture, some type of climactic tribulation, a second coming, not necessarily in that order, uh, they seem to be classified into the left-behind category of Christian, uh, which I do not believe to be the case in our situation, he says. So any clarity, maybe even a clear definition of dispensationalism— Whoo, Grant, Ooh, this, that's a, a bit, that's a this big is a question. big question.
0: Yeah. We, we might have to charge you double for downloading this episode. <laughs> but we get similar questions very often and not just people who email in, but we get direct messages, we get phone calls and other kinds of messages that are very similar to this, so yeah. you're not alone. Uh, you've not left. You've not been left behind. Sorry, Grant. I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist a little lightheartedness there. One nice thing is, if you look to the confessions, uh, they are um, they're not per- they're not specific regarding like end times timing. Sure. Yeah. And so just know that there's a lot of freedom there. And even during the time of the Westminster Confession, when it was being written, for example, they're, they're, they weren 't in the majority, but i 'm pretty sure there were people who actually would have been pre mill who were a part of it so yeah, yeah. so th- keep that in mind uh, there 's freedom uh, for you in the confessions. So that's helpful. Also know there are people who serve as I would say a good on ramps, if you will, people like Mm. S Lewis Johnson, who before he died and went to heaven said he was no longer a dispensationalist. But, uh, that's where I first learned basic categories of covenant theology, like covenant of grace, covenant of works, covenant of redemption. And so he can be helpful. That Mm -hmm. might, that might help you. um, Let's see, what else would I want to say about that? You can check out our Zionism episode. I think that would be insightful for you. Read the book of Hebrews and ask yourself the question, should we ever go back to animal sacrifices? Should we ever have a reinstituted priest class and a rebuilt temple for the priests and animal sacrifices? And it would be Jewish, so you would have the Jews separated from the Gentiles, uh, and, and does that jive, if you will, with Ephesians as far as the dividing wall being broken down? Uh, what else should I say? Also, think, in tr- think about the ascension of Jesus. Mm, yeah. And when he ascends, he's ascending not just going from below to up above. Mm. He's ascending as in the way it's spoken of in the book of Acts. He's ascending as in... Davidic covenant fulfillment, mm, so he's yeah. ascending to the throne, yeah, so yeah. that's why it's kingdom, that's why Paul even preaches in the book of Acts, uh, the kingdom, he's preaching about the good news of the kingdom, because the kingdom is, in a sense, now, it's, mm. it's what do we say, it's inaugurated, yeah, it's yeah. not consummated, but it is inaugurated, and some of these things will rub up against at least certain forms of dispensationalism. Sure. yeah, yeah. So, also remember when people the the best amillennialists, and we're not trying to get you to become amill right now or anything. No pressure, hmm. uh, no background music playing or anything. <laughs> but do know that in the best sense, if someone says they're amillennial, they don't mean there's there's no kingdom. They mean present millennial, right, yeah, present millennialism, as in he's the king ruling and reigning now, and the kingdom will be consummated. The new Jerusalem will come, and it will last forever. And that that kind of helped me think through things. Sure, We're not trying yeah. to get rid of a kingdom. We're trying to say it's, it's now, it's happened, and yeah. it will become a, cons, commonsmated Commons. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he returns, the the book on the three views of the millennium, and it's called the the three views of the millennium and beyond. Yeah, yeah. I don't always like the the, the multi views books.
1: Yeah, that's a good. That's one. a good one. That's a helpful one, I think.
0: Yeah, the the chapter from Robert Simple is yeah. worth reading. That is maybe what I want to I'll study the book of Isaiah and learn. Sure. yeah. You don't need to go to the new Testament to have things change in your perspective. Isaiah himself was already seeing um, things differently. Yeah. So you don't have to read the old in light of the new though. We think you should read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old, but also even see Isaiah is starting to look toward the new <laughs> and he's writing in the old. So the water's warm. Come on in anytime, anytime <laughs> you'd like, but don't be – it'll be better for you to work through the issues because then you'll be more committed by the time it's all said and done anyway. Yeah. Um, the basic definition of dispensationalism is going to be there is a future for national Israel that is – Religious that is, as I, I would say, geopolitical. So, that, so that's why you have to have a rebuilt temple. That's why you have to have the reinstituted priesthood and sacrifices. And, and from there, some people believe in seven dispensations. Some believe in less, some believe in more. There's a lot of distinction uh, after that. But that's, that's at the very heart of it all. If you're an essentialist, dispensationalist, that's what you affirm. Yeah. And uh, that's hard in light of the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews ruined my theology. Uh, I think it helped, helped it, it, right? it solved it. <laughs> yeah. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. We like yeah. to say on the pactum again, check out the episode on Zionism. Um, but Hey, you know what? Uh, we'll be, we, we'll be patient with you. Uh, Oh, maybe one more resource. And that would be, you could read my dissertation and, uh, it's free. It's online. It won't be free for long because rumor has it, it's being published in a book format, Ooh. but it is still free. So quick, get it. But my whole burden there was to try to, to show covenant theology uh, is for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The classic covenant theology is for everyone, even dispensationalists, because we're not talking about an end times millennial view or something like that. We're talking about, a more, first and foremost, soteriology. Sure, yeah. So covenant of grace, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Uh, but then once you go down that rabbit hole because of the doctrine of justification, right. yeah. Um, maybe you warm up to these other ideas. So sure. if someone ever tells you it's a slippery slope, don't do it. Don't even go there, Grant. They're probably not lying. <laughs> they're probably telling you the <laughs> truth <laughs> because before you know it, Israel is a son who's unfaithful yeah. anticipating the ultimate son, who is Jesus, who is faithful. And why would we go back to the unfaithful the son? It wouldn't make any sense. That's
1: right. All right. A couple of questions to wrap up this pactum responsum episode. This one comes from Isaac. Uh, who's currently reading John Calhoun's, or maybe Calhoun's, or how are you going to say it? <laughs> John, Cal- <laughs> John Calhoun's treatise on the law and the gospel. Uh, he's loving the book. There's one thing that he's continually coming back to and wrestling with as he's reading this book. Uh, Calhoun clarifies on multiple accounts that belief in God belongs to the moral law, thus combating neo-nomianism. He even says that the command to, quote, repent and believe the gospel belongs to the law rather than the gospel. What do you think? (laughs) Is repent and believe the gospel, is that law or gospel? That's the question, really. Okay. I I like
0: the book. I like his writings. We would commend them. We probably have before. Who knows? You might even be reading them, Isaac, because – we suggested I it. We have, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, sometimes he says things in ways I might not say them because I want them to be clarified or something like that. But um, so keep, keep your category straight. And uh, even if you don't agree with all the ways he says things, but maybe this insight would help. This is from Caspar Livianus. So 1500s, uh, he says to repent is an expression of the law, not the gospel. But then on the other side, believe is a gospel imperative. And he does that because one is turning to Christ, believing, and the other is turning from sin, repenting. And so that's how he he splices and dices it. Hmm. And uh, I learned that from, oh, I'm going to give him two shout outs in one episode. Yes, you are. I learned that from my friend R. Scott Clark. Yes. So anyway, so th- there have been other people who've done this before. They put repentance in a different kind of, they put it under a different kind of label. So we know that God grants grace to do both, yes. to believe and to repent. And uh, they they do go together, especially when you're called to, believe, to repent and believe. Hmm. So you can't really do one without the other from my perspective. But how are we going to label them? That's a whole other question. So I think no. you're thinking about this the right way, Isaac, and hey, give uh, give Calhoun the benefit of the doubt as far as how he's labeling things. Do we want to do one more question, sure, Michael? Yeah, let's wrap do up?
1: one more and wrap it up here. This is our final question. We have a
0: whole bunch more. What we, are we going to do?
1: We're going to have to do more Pactum responsums in the future. Man. Man, lots of questions. Keep them coming. All right, this final question comes from Julie and she asks about the problem of evil. Uh, where did evil come from? If God created... Somewhere bad. Yes. If God created everything, there's no Maverick molecule. Ooh, that's an R.C. Sproul line. I like that. he's sovereign over it Every detail. Yep. How did he not create sin and evil himself? Okay, how's it possible?
0: Thanks, Julie. And Julie, you have identified your friend, yourself as a friend of Wren. Yes, someone yes, who's does. also part of the Pactum verse. And uh, any friend of Wren's is no friend of ours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: is a friend of oh ours. wait yeah, wait i friend. said it Any the wrong way Wren is a friend of yeah ours. well we're still kind of
0: bitter because <laughs> ren and clay her husband they moved yeah. away from omaha and so we're we're praying for them that that they might see that no we're they moved to where they are aliens.
1: That's, they did, right? Yeah. Where, where did
0: they go? They went to New Mexico, Ro- Roswell. Roswell. Yeah. I think they're doing
1: Clay's doing secret uh, alien experiments <laughs> down there. So,
0: <laughs> okay, Julie, we, we we like you if you're your friend a uh, friend of the Moody's. So, wh- where where does evil come from? Uh, that's your question, and it's a Important question. A lot of people have written a lot of things about these things. If God is totally sovereign, but he's only good, for example, how do we mesh the two? How do we think through the issues? Uh, how do we make sense of Genesis fifty twenty, for example, as right, for yeah. you, you, you sinners, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. God meant the evil for good to bring about what, um, to to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So how how does that work? How how does this problem of evil? Um mesh with Scripture. So I'm going to just going to acknowledge God is sovereign. Sinners are accountable. Right. And from there, we have to be cautious. Yep, yep. What we're doing, Julie, is we're dealing with the biblical data, and I know that you are as well, but we're dealing with the biblical data. We know it teaches He's sovereign. We know He works providentially, all things together for good, even bad things. Sinners are held accountable. Uh, eventually, I have to say, and probably earlier than not, I, I don't know how to figure it all out. Sure, Yeah. It is a mystery to me exactly how this works, but we do have some resources to commend to you or recommend to you. And one would be Louis Burkhoff, which you probably have because you are an astute theologian. Uh, But Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology does talk about this at some length. And then you could look to the Confessions. Mm -hmm. Um, The Confessions definitely talk about this. I have the London Baptist Confession pulled up here the second London confession, chapter three on God's decree. Right. And then also chapter five, divine providence. Uh, it does not shy away from these things. Um, but it doesn't explain how it all works. It says things like this. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein. Hmm. And he goes on to say, it goes on to say, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away. Hmm. I mean, I, I could just go on and on. There's this careful wording with scriptural proofs to try to explain without explaining it away and without having scriptures contradict themselves. Right, yeah. So I won't read more from the Confession, but those particular chapters I think are worth your study, and maybe you could get a commentary even on the Confession. But then maybe we, if we turn to Burkoff, it says this. It is universal or all comprehensive. That is the decree of God. Mm. The decree includes whatsoever comes to pass in the world, whether it be in the physical or in the moral realm, whether it be good or evil. It includes a it includes the good actions of men, their wicked acts, contingent events, the means as well as the end. The Duration of Man's Life and the Place of His Habitation. And I skipped all of the scriptural text that he includes there. Yeah. But notice it's all-encompassing. Right. And then one more section from Berkhoff. It's the next section. With reference to sin, it is permissive. Hmm. And so you could start studying, uh, why, why do they use words like permissive? And what is this permissive will all about? And I would encourage you to do that, Julie, and other people as well. Uh, and then it goes on to say, Berkhoff does, By his decree, God rendered the sinful actions of man infallibly certain without deciding to effectuate them— that's a good word—by acting immediately upon and in the finite will. This means that God does not positively work in man both to will and to do when man goes contrary to his revealed will. It should be carefully noted, however, that this permissive decree does not imply a passive permission or something which is not under the control of the divine will. Man, my brain is about (laughs) to explode. It is a decree which renders the future sinful act. Absolutely certain, but in which God determines, A, not to hinder the sinful self-determination of the finite will, and B, to regulate and control the result of this sinful self-determination with scriptural proofs. Man, my brain is hurting. Wow. As you can tell, uh, dear Pactum listeners, uh, we're not the first people to ever have been asked this question. Yeah, He also entertains objections, and sure. we're not yeah. going to cover those now, but they're significant things to kind of think through, yep. but as Christians, we come back to the fact that we believe the Bible is true because Jesus believed the Bible is true and taught the sovereignty of God in all things, exactly how all of the data fits and matches up and how the... Sometimes uh, tension, apparent tension, at least in our minds, work together. Uh, we can work hard as theologians to try to make sense and, and state the, the matter clearly, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have to say I'm not exactly sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. Not exactly sure.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening and joining us here on this episode of the Pactum Responsum. We will be sure to link to all of those resources, we, resources we've resources we mentioned throughout the episode on the show notes for today. You can be in touch with us online on Instagram and on Twitter. You can send us even more questions to connect at thepactum.org to be covered on future Pactum Responsum episodes. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Pactum.